If you want to sit up here, I know you can see, you can see you better if you sit up Pardon here. Pardon me? Would you like to sit up here? People can see you I'm, better? I'm fine here. Okay. Everybody can see. Okay. I'm more central here. Okay. <laughs> Thank the Lord we can be together. And uh, my thoughts go to what God has said, that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways so much higher as the heaven is of above the earth so much higher are his thoughts than our thoughts and his ways than our ways and um, <clears throat> I I read I read this morning a first chapter of Jonah and it just really struck me about the difference between man's thoughts and God's thoughts. Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh to preach to the people in Nineveh that in 40 days it's going to go under. Nineveh's going to be destroyed. So Jonah wanted to run away from that responsibility to go and preach. I'm going to I'm going to read that account. And uh, I just I want to share how it spoke to me. <clears throat> uh, we are living now and uh, many many years since Jonah's experience. And I think that the tendency is for human beings is to just think that natural disasters, natural happenings, many things happen. But God has said in one place, and I, I was wondering where that was, but he says that things happen, good things, bad things happen. Well, did these things happen and I have not done it? God is asking us the question. Was was things like this? Do things like this happen? It wasn't because I done it. And the fact is, yes, it was God that done it. But we'll see this in the in the first chapter of, of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of man uh, of Amittai, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsha from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found his ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof and went down into the into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. David has a scripture. David wrote in a place where says, can I go any word from die from you? And he, he understood that he can't, you know. But he had a better understanding about God than Jonah did. Jonah didn't have a very good understanding here. 
it was his thoughts. He thought he could hide. He could run away from God and disappear, you know, so he didn't have to do this job. But God knew. <clears throat> so, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. That, But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. It appears like everyone there had some understanding that seems more appropriate than what a lot of people think today. People seem to think, well, it just happened, you know, just this happened, that happened. They don't credit God for anything hardly, you know. But, uh, yeah, these people were serious and believed that some higher being is involved in what is going on here. And uh, whether they knew God or not, uh, but anyhow, I'll, I'll read on. And they said, everyone, wait a minute, yeah. And they said, everyone to the, his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is come upon us. You don't hear anybody today casting lots, trying to find out what caused this disaster thing happening, you know. You don't hear that, or I don't. But anyhow, uh, so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is come upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were they were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is come upon you. He still wasn't ready to turn around and say, God, I repent. I'm willing to go back and go to Nineveh. 
he still was determined. And it, it appears to me, although uh, he recognized that this came because of him, yet he didn't seem to have so much fear of God as we would think he should have. He was still determined that he was not going to go to Nineveh. But God took well care of that. So anyhow, and uh, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. <clears throat> it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, example of God dealing you could say uh, many people suffer because one people, because one person disobeyed God. And we can get a real lesson out of that. Uh, it's a lesson of love and care what we should have for one another. It's, it's a lesson of to teach us the carefulness we should have to care for our fellow men that we don't bring such a disaster upon them because of my sin. I think, I think that, you know, these, these uh, on the other hand, there's another part that we can also see in God's love and his mercy. He brought these people to recognize him for who he is. All these people in the ship. So the end result was, uh, while they were in a turmoil and and uh, in this ship, yet God carefully arranged things so that He could bring these people into contact with the true God. So we see this here, where man's thoughts, like is not God's thoughts, and His ways, our ways, not His ways. God is able to make the outcome be glorious. Man's ways is disaster. So I, I'm just thankful this morning, like I was telling, I think we were talking about something about doing well on the way up here. And of course, I have some tendonitis problems, my shoulders hurt, and sometimes it's a little hard for me to get laying down right in bed to be able to relax and sleep because I lay on this side, then it hurts on this side, lay on that side. But I said to Anna, I said, 
if God's mind is that my shoulders hurt to draw me closer to him, I'm fine with that. Uh, that is what I felt. And in the story of Jonah, you know, God wants to draw people to him. And he gets our attention better when not everything just goes like we'd like to see it go. He has a, has a way of saying, Dan, you need to call upon me. I have something to say to you. I have something to, I want something from you that you don't realize. And uh, so God works these things because he loves us, because he loves humanity. He don't only love me, but all those who get affected by my behavior, he also loves them. And he works things out so that men draw to him. I just think it's beautiful, very beautiful the way God, his wisdom is so awesome. We can't match his wisdom ever, you know. Men may think they are wise and they can they can discuss things and come up with some good ideas. And, and we have a situation in our country now uh, of impeaching the president, you know. But God has the last word in that too. So we can trust God and be finished. She's going to have the last word. I'm thankful this morning. This morning, uh, like the look in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. This is the story of where King Nebuchadnezzar set up a, a golden image of himself. Thought that highly of himself. And then he wanted everybody in Babylon to worship him. In the city of Babylon. And everyone was commanded to do it. Where they would be thrown in a burning fiery furnace. And so the whole thing happened and then... In verse 8, it says, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, and they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, symphony, all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the sound of all the music he mentions, you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't, have to, we don't need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat up the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor from his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, trousers, turbans, and other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And Shadrach, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He, ro <coughs> he rose in haste, and spoke, saying to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the furnace in the midst of the fire? And they answered, said to the king, True, o king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. In the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fire, the burning fiery furnace, and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth from the midst of the fire. And the, and the satraps, administrators, and governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not in them, not on them. This is a passage that is an amazing story and a great lesson that we can learn something for ourselves in our walk with God. Because in this passage here, these are people who are walking with the Lord and their faith was tested. You know we read in Peter that our faith will be tested by fire. And see, in this case, it happens literally that they are threatened with everybody else. And everybody else caved in and bowed down. But there is three men 
who dared not to do the com what was commanded. You say, well, why? What was so wrong with doing that? It's the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods beside me. Besides me, you shall not make any molten images and bow down before them. On and on. It's part of the covenant. It's the first commandment. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Of course, they're not going to do that. They're following the Lord. But now they have to deal with their fears. And as this story plays itself out, the people who throw them into the fire are killed by the fire. It's how hot it was. And they're thro thrown into the fire, and they're tied up. But yet when Nebuchadnezzar sees them, they're not bound anymore. They're not tied up anymore. And in this life, there's many things that try to bind us, that try to bind us up and bring us into bondage. Things of the world and the flesh. The devil constantly hammering our minds to do the wrong thing. But these men were free. In the fire. And yet they're still free. Free from all that they were trying to be bound in. That he tried to bind them in. Yet their clothes were not burned, but there was no more ropes on them anymore, whatever, chains, whatever they had on them. And the Lord is with them. The fourth one, there's four in there now, and the fourth one, he says, is like the Son of God. Lord Jesus, in the fire with them. And you know, to me, this, this is a very important thing to, to grasp in our own life. <coughs> That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Spirit of Jesus, His Holy Spirit, not only is with us, but He lives inside of us. And to me that makes a whole different look at life. Life looks completely different when we look at life that way. Amen. From the book of Colossians, I read in the communion meditation today, the mystery of the ages. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, his spirit living in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. You know, the carnal mind doesn't comprehend the things of God. And it certainly doesn't understand that. God living inside, his spirit living inside of us. What is that, some sort of a gas? You know, it doesn't make any sense to us. To the natural mind, God is somebody... If if. You know, that lives way out in the, another end of the universe. On some throne far away somewhere out there. And he has this spirit that kind of keeps an eye on things. No. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And it is the third person of God. And he is a restrainer of evil in this world. And he lives in us. God is not far off in some distant place only. He's here too. He's among us. It says, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of us. But it goes further than that to say, he lives in us. The Spirit of God. We read last week in First Peter, where it says that we have become partakers 
of God's nature. The divine nature. How is that possible? It's through the Spirit He has given us. And so, we have to take that, those truths and apply them to practical, daily, everyday life. And so what does that look like? Now this is an extreme situation. It's not every day that people get thrown in a, in a furnace. Not, this, doesn't, this isn't an everyday occurrence. At least not yet. Who knows what the future will but the fact is that this was a very extreme case. Do we think that Jesus is only with us in very dangerous, perilous, extreme cases like that? No. He's with us all the time, every day. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But yet we have to... What don't we understand about that? You know, John mentioned a book he read that I read some of too, is called uh, Practicing the Presence of God. And basically what it is is a reminder that God is here all the time. And we should keep on reminding ourselves of that. You know, He's not far off, He's here. He's with us. And He's going through the fire with us. We have to face fires, we have to face fiery trials in this life. But we're not alone. And unfortunately... Many of us in Christendom look at it just that way. That we have to face this trial alone. Oh, I know that God hears me, but I'm facing this trial alone. This is too much. It's not too much. Moses said, I can't go. I'm not a good speaker. God said, you go, I will be with you. He told other prophets, you go. I will be with you. So we can have boldness to do whatever God tells us to do, like He told Jonah to do. We can do it, and God will be with us. He said He would be with us to the end of the age. Dan mentioned this morning about how that God... Uh, Dave said, where will, where will I go to hide from the presence of God? It says in one of his psalms. If I go and sit down at the bottom of the ocean, you'll be there. God is with us. He is with us. When we read in the book of Isaiah, it talks about going through the he says, when you pass through the river, the water will not overflow you. When you pass through the fire, it will not burn you. And we see it literally happen here. There wasn't even the smell of smoke on his clo their clothes. There wasn't any singeing of their clothes or their hair or anything. You know, when you're at a bonfire, even, something like that, and you, you're sitting there at a bonfire... You're not in that fire, you're just around that fire. And you go home and you smell your clothes the next day, and they smell like smoke. But these men were not around the fire, they were in the fire. They weren't singed by the fire. The preservation of the people of God. 
We should not think any differently than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God did not, they did not know what God's will was for them. Are we going to give up our lives for the will of God and be a martyr like others were before him then? Or is God going to deliver us? We don't know. God is able to deliver us, though, but even if he doesn't, we are not going to do this evil thing. And they were defiant against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not any small-time king. If you look at ancient history, he stands out as one of the mightiest, most powerful kings of ancient history. And every history book of ancient history contains him. And he was certainly powerful. And as we can see here, he was certainly full of himself. He wants people to worship his image. And all of his rage and fury didn't change them. And all of his threatening, and then picking them up and throwing them in the fire. And there they were walking in the fire, and the Lord himself walking with them. Not just angels of the Lord, but the Lord himself. The Lord himself walks with us. <coughs> And lives in us. And he's given his angels charge concerning us. It says in the book of Hebrews that angels or ministers have been sent as ministers, servants of those who will inherit salvation. We have a pretty good, pretty good uh, bodyguards there, don't we? A pretty good guards of our life and our soul. We are not alone. Let's open our eyes to it. That God open our eyes that we might see the greatness of God's power to those who believe. Elisha's servant told him that the army of Babylon had, the army of Syria had surrounded them. And Elisha said, the prophet said, don't worry, there's more for us than there is for him, for them. This whole army surrounding them. And I'm sure in that second, Elisha's servant was like, what in the world is he talking about? I don't see anybody. And then Elisha prayed, God opened his eyes. And then he saw the armies of heaven, chariots of fire surrounding the whole situation. Open our eyes, Lord, to understand the greatness of your power to us who believe. That was Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus. And it's our prayer for us today. Open our eyes to God's loving kindness, his greatness, and his presence that is present with us and in us. And so, God was with them. The next place I'm going to look is in uh, the book of uh, Psalms, Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73, beginning in verse 23. Psalm 23, Psalm 73, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. At the end of the, at the end of it, it says, verse twenty-eight. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Some versions say, the nearness of God is my good. God's nearness. Asaph here in writing this psalm said, I'm continually with you, you're continually with me. You're holding me with your right hand, and you're guiding me with your counsel. That was what Jesus said he was sending the Holy Spirit for. To be our guide and our counselor and our teacher. He's with us. He's guiding us. He's holding us. What a beautiful picture. He's holding us by the right hand and pulling us, walking us along. Do we look at our life that way as we face every day, facing our aches and our pains, facing our trials and tribulations and the troubles we see in our loved ones? We have troubled families, troubled marriages. We have troubles in workplaces, we have troubles uh, in, our, in our nation, we have troubles in our society, there's trouble everywhere. But do we walk in fear and anxiety? Some in Christendom are even leaning to antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and so on and so forth. I'm not condemning anybody, just saying... There's a better way. The Lord is with us. We don't need to be afraid of anything. Fear not. You know, Jesus was with the disciples in the boat. And he's sleeping in the boat. And of course, just like with Jonah, the tempest <coughs> came up. The boat and everything. And they panicked and they woke Jesus up and says, don't you care, we're perishing and everything, you know. What is the message in that? And Jesus said, why, why are you afraid? You know, as a young Christian, I thought, well, that's not fair. Why is he saying to them, why are you afraid? Of course they're going to be afraid. Now what he is saying is, is why are you afraid? Because you are looking at things through the carnal mind, through the flesh. You're not looking through the eyes of the Spirit. That's not spiritual vision. That's not spiritual focus. You're looking at it according to the flesh. You're not taking it into account that I am with you. You are not taking it, and he was sitting right in the boat with them. You're not taking that into account. I is with you. I'm with you. You're not taking into account my power. They didn't understand that. They didn't come to understand that yet. They did later. But that time they didn't. And they panicked. But there comes a point in our life that we have to come to understand that too. So we don't get swallowed up 
in the fire. And we, by losing hope. The next place I'm going to look to is in Romans chapter 7. <coughs> Romans 7, 4. Romans 7, 4, Therefore, my brothers, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised, who has raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, he talks about us being married, we who are in Christ are in Christ, are married to Christ. And we know that marriage is a covenant. Where two become one flesh. They become one. So what does this have to do with what we're talking about? Well, it has everything to do with what we're talking about. We are one with Christ now. We are joined together with Him. We've been buried with Christ in baptism. Raised with Him to walk in newness of life. We have died with Christ. been dead to the wall of the body of Christ. So we might be married to another Christ. Now this marriage is not compared in all respects to marriage, of course. But it's compared to Christ, to marriage. Our, our relationship with Christ is compared to marriage. And that it's a joining together. Jesus said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and the mother, and the two shall become one flesh. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, where it's talking about marriage. We often refer to that when we need counsel on marriage, and it's very good. But also, Paul is talking there about the relationship of Jesus Christ with the church. And so, when we see that in Ephesians 5, refer to it briefly. It says, just a few excerpts I'll take you out of it. Christ is the head of the church, as he is the Savior of the body. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so that their wives be their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, verse 30, for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. Come united with Christ. A union with Christ. And then he quotes, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The church becomes the one with Christ in a certain sense, as a man and a woman become one in marriage. Not in all senses, in all respects, but in the sense that he's talking about here. A union between us with Christ. Now how, how closer can you have God to you than that? 
being joined with Christ, having His Spirit living in us, holding us by the right hand, guiding us, teaching us, counseling us, disciplining us. What else do we need? Everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus. It's all there. He will be with us for the rest of our lives. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 12. Brothers, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, some strange thing happening to you. But rejoice the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are a reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's affairs. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. In this matter, verse 19, Therefore, let, this, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. This is talking specifically of one aspect of suffering. Suffering for the name of Christ. But there is many things that God brings us through, fiery trials. Not just persecution for being a Christian, but understand that in all of them, we're called to give glory to God. And if we suffer for doing the right thing, you know, not just preaching the gospel, but living the gospel. We live differently. People think it's strange that we don't live the way they do it. Peter says. They think it's strange that we don't live to the same excess of right as they do. Or wild living, excessive living, carnal living. They think it's strange. And they may persecute us just for the way we live. It's okay. And he calls that a fiery trial. Fiery trials. But remember, the Lord is with us in all of our fiery trials. If it's necessary that we suffer in our bodies, and in our homes, in our different circumstances, if it's God's will that we suffer, that we're called to glorify God in those things. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. <clears throat> Every day we're tested. Our faith is being tested. Every day in some way. We're tested in our minds to think the right things, 
to believe the right things. Because there is a river of thoughts that we're bombarded with. They're not from God. The Bible tells us to bring every thought captive to obey Christ. And it's in this area too, that God has not abandoned us, He hasn't forgotten us, and He will not, He has not forsaken us. He said He will never leave us or forsake us. When we look at our lives and everything from day to day, we live the Christian life from minute to minute, from day to day, hour to hour, whatever, that we need to keep this in mind. That we're not alone. We are not suffering alone. We have not been abandoned. He is with us. Just because we don't see Him with our eyes, and we don't see Him at work, doesn't mean He's not. And doesn't mean that he's not answering our prayers in his timing. He's here today. He's here with us. He is here among us. He lives in our hearts. Praise the Lord. I had one thought. When Jesus died on the cross, he was put in a tomb. Who raised that Jesus? What spirit raised that Jesus? It's written. That spirit is in us. That same spirit raised up Jesus Christ. We're not powerless. And we're worthy. We are worth something. Because that spirit in us. Amen. Your brother, brothers want to comment on anything that we've shared so far? Or anything else you want to share? Yeah, I, I would just like to say this, that we also, uh, in both Jonah and in the three Hebrew children, uh, we see God's love and the outcome of his dealings with, uh, you could say, uh, it seems like, just like Pharaoh, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, but not just because. Uh, you could say to harden his heart, but he wanted to do a work that helps people to see the greatness of, of his ability and his love and his care for mankind. So he showed tremendous love to Jonah, even though he ran from him, tried to hide himself, yet he was very merciful. He was with him in the whale's belly, you know. And kept him. He it was so totally supernatural, uh, in the sense of a man living in a belly of a whale for three days, and be spewing out and and humbled him, and got him convinced that he better go to Nineveh. Mm -hmm. 
and and then Jonah was pouting because Nineveh repented, and God spoke to Jonah in a very kind and loving way. He didn't, uh, you know. I think of uh, James, what it says in the first chapter of James. Um, how God is with those who love him. It says, uh, it says we should, uh, if any man, verse 5, chapter 1, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, it's like plentifully. He just, like it's like, pours it on him. And he does it without upbraiding them. And it shall be given him. And literally, liberally, and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. And we, we, we are just so prone to be the opposite. It's so, so prone to be the obvious toward our wife, our husband, our children, our neighbors, you know. We need to learn what love is all about from God. I just see that. And then Nebuchadnezzar even turned and said, if anybody dares to do anything or say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they shall be cut asunder and their houses destroyed and all that. God didn't say that, but you know, it again shows the difference between man's ways and God's ways. And I, I just, why shouldn't we love God? Why is holding us back from loving God? What makes us think that God isn't what he says he is? But we, we're so prone to be that way. Any little thing that happens that doesn't seem to suit us or we can't reason it out, <laughs> there we are, you know, back to the old uh, way of human way of thinking instead of God's way. But you know, God's God's purpose is is that, like Hebrews, our first Second Corinthians chapter four says, our our while the outer man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day. And that is what God wants to lead us into. Is that, to uh, accept this understanding and embrace it of the outer man perishing, but the inner man being renewed day by day. And uh, God's dealing with mankind, you know, starts from back in the garden all the way to our day. And what do we see in all that? God is patient, God is loving, God is long-suffering, God is longing for all men to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I just praise God that I can be part of that work, you know, that God is doing. Yeah, it's, um, the theme I see running throughout all this is, is love. And, um, it, it's, a. Uh, it's exactly what the Lord put up on my heart just a couple days ago. The simplicity in that. You know, um, 
we're tempted in this life. Um, the enemy is very set on have us, having having us so focused on maybe on, on all, all the errors in us, all, all the problems that are going wrong, uh, you know, so that we're, we're looking at it rather than him. And, you know, Brother Ani talked about, you know, uh, us moment by moment, minute, minute by minute living out the Christian life. I think that is just so important. Yeah. That moment by moment, you know, we are, we're knowing that he's going to meet us with the grace. He's going to meet us with, with, with whatever we need in that moment. And we don't have to take a care for our life. You know, listen to, to David. He says, you know, the Lord sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, David had been in such an intimate place with God that he just knew. He knew that no matter what will come against him, that his God was faithful. And um, I was at my mom's yesterday, and, and um, there was like an audio Bible on the TV. And uh, it was talking about, uh, it was in the last chapters of Acts where the Apostle Paul is, is going to, to Rome. And, and everything is dead set against him. You know, he, he has enemies on every side. He has enemies in the Gentiles, enemies among Jews. And, and it looks so bad. But, but Paul, just, he, he walks in faith and says, I know my God. I, I know that he is for me. And so you see that the story unfold where, where Paul is then in Rome under a guarded bodyguard. You know, so, so the very enemies that are trying to destroy him, it actually works against them. So Paul's in Rome. You know, the, the palace guard is coming to faith. To faith. And the, the very thing that they want to use to destroy him is actually his protection. Do we believe that that we save that we serve that same God today? Um, in uh, Psalm 63, and my little Bible doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure most of the Bibles that you guys have probably says this. And this is a, this is David in, in the, the wilderness of Judah. Is the setting of the Psalm. So so David at this point in his life, you know, he's he's being uh, he's being uh, sought after by Saul for what? For, for living righteously. Defeating giants, you know, uh, overcoming the enemies of the Lord, and David is being persecuted. <clears throat> He's in the desert. In another, in another place in the Psalms, it talks about how even the members of his own household uh, came to, to destroy. And uh, we read in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked into your sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with tomorrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. This is a man that did not allow circumstances to change what he saw. But you can only imagine, you know, uh, the, the trial. He's trying to do the will of God, and and he's in a desert. But but he raises his hand and saying, "Lord, thus will I bless you all the days of my life. I will raise up my hands to you." And um, you know, it's like I woke up this morning and I just felt a little fleshy, you know, a little anxiety this morning. Just you know, a lot of a lot of things to do, you know. Uh, Meeting my father, try to you know spend some time with him, and then going to my mother's, and you know making sure she's okay, and and you know just so many responsibilities, and that's the problem is that you start have I get my eyes on the responsibilities, so I need to have my eyes on the, on the king, 
And if I'm united to his love, not only will I meet these needs, I will I will be abounding in love. I won't only be able to be able to meet the needs, I will overflow into the lives of those that I love. And that's what God desires for all of us. You know, we, we shouldn't be just surviving. Why are we just surviving? When you know in, in, uh, in Romans chapter eight, we read the apostle Paul say. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress? Distress. This is in verse 35, chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul's saying, it looks bad. We're, you know, we're like sheep to the slaughter. We're being persecuted. But what can keep us from separate? What can separate us from the love of Christ? We're more than conquerors in him. And so, you know, in, in Psalm 63, I don't like to think that David is, is out in the desert, you know, uh, that he's really just you know, filled with, you know, he, that he's really singing songs, you know, unaware, you know, untouched by the, the suffering that he's experiencing. No, I believe that David's out in the wilderness and he's clapping, clapping to God and he's saying, Lord, I don't care about these situations. I'm going to praise you anyway. Because no matter what I feel, you hear David say this in the Psalms, right? Oh, oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Amen. And I was saying, you know, on my way here, I was saying, Lord, I don't care what my mind tells me. I don't care what I feel right now. I am a living sacrifice for you. And when this moment is over, I will sing. I will sing songs with a joyful heart. But right now, I'm going to sing, and I'm going to I'm going to weep and sing. You know, one of the, I don't know if it's Psalms or Proverbs talks about he who sows with tears, um, that he will uh, reap with, with, with gladness. Reap with gladness. Yeah. Now, are we sowing in tears? Are Are we so caught up in the tears that you know we think that God has left us? And, you know. And there's, you know, God is not condemning us in that. I think that, you know, for me, for the longest time, I used to feel like a hypocrite because I'm clapping in the car and everything inside of me is, you know, dreary and, and not feeling so good. But I said, I don't care. I don't care what I feel. I'm going to praise him anyway. And, and he'll get me through the trial. And you know what? Enduring in that way, God delights in us. He's not standing in heaven. He's not sitting on the throne and saying, man, why do you feel like that? He's saying, man, man, look at my son. Look at how he trusts me. Look at how, how he, he just knows why, because I've told him. You know, so I'll sit in my car at times like this, and I'll just say, as I'm driving, saying, Lord, I am drawn near to you, and you're drawn near to me. Not because I feel it, because you promise it. And that's true. Jesus said, your word is true. Sanctify them by your truth. His word sets us apart. When no matter what our mind is telling us, lie, that's a lie. It doesn't matter what the situation looks like. I know that God is exceedingly abundant.